Remember years ago, you would buy a computer program or a computer for that matter, and they would come with all kinds of manuals and books. I mean, just really thick books. You, you, you need to read 20 pages just to figure out how to turn the thing on. And now, what I like now about the modern stuff is everything always comes with a quick start guide or a quick reference uh, page. And, and it tells you the five things that you need to know, and they're the only things you really need to know about your device. And then later on, you just stumble upon things uh, layer after layer. And so we're starting a series. It's, it's essentially an overview series of books of the Bible. We're going to start with the Minor Prophets. We're calling it Quick Start because that's essentially what it is. It's a, it's a quick start guide to that book. We're going to try and take one book each time uh, in the time we have. Uh, and we're going to start with Hosea. Uh, here's a phrase. Go take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry. That sounds like the worst pre-marriage counseling of all time. I mean, what if you came here and you said, hey, Pastor Gene, you know, I'd like some really good counsel on how to find a wife. And I said, well, I've got a scripture for you. It's from Hosea. Go take yourself a wife of harlotry and have children of harlotry. Well, it's, the, it's terrible, except that that was the command of God to his young prophet, Hosea. Skip Heitzig calls it, this book rather, a heartfelt message from a heartsick prophet about a heartbroken God. Hosea was raised up at Israel's zero hour. Divine judgment was coming. What Jeremiah was to the southern kingdom of Judah in warning of impending doom, Hosea was to the northern kingdom of Israel just before they were overrun by the Assyrians. Hosea is the first of what are called the minor prophets. At least his book is first in order, if not in chronology. We're not sure why they are in the order they are in. They're, they're not in a chronological order um, we receive them in that order, and that's the way the Jewish scriptures were put together. The term minor prophets refers to the length of their books, not their significance. It would probably be better to not use that term at all, since they each have major things to say, but that's not going to happen. It's caught on over the years, and, and so uh, they're referred to as the minor prophets, uh, even though uh, you have to keep in mind that it's not about the message. The Jewish people treat them as one book and they call them the 12. All of them taken together are about as long as the single book of Isaiah. So that's the idea. That's why they are minor. Now, the minor prophets ministered during the time the nation of Israel was split by civil war into two separate kingdoms. Uh, Israel was the kingdom in the north with about 10 tribes and Judah was the kingdom in the south with about two tribes. It was right after Solomon died. Uh, and his son took over and listened to some bad advice, and the kingdoms split in, uh, in a civil war. The ten tribes that comprised Israel would eventually be overrun by the Assyrian Empire. The two tribes that comprised Judah would later be taken captive. About 100 or 200 years later, they would be taken captive by Babylon, and then they would return to Jerusalem after their 70 years of captivity were ended until the, uh, 70 AD when the Romans destroyed Jerusalem again. <clears throat> the reign of Jeroboam II in Israel's northern kingdom from about 793 to 753 BC is considered a golden age of the north with great military victories and a thriving economy. 
Spiritually, however, the nation was not doing so well. In fact, they were doing terribly. They were involved in all the kinds of things we read about in the book of Jeremiah, idolatry and, uh, and the like. Hosea had to tell them that although a loving God had provided their abundance and was prospering them, their sin would force him to use their enemies against them as his instruments of judgment. Very difficult uh, to convince the Jews when they were prospering that, uh, materially that they weren't doing well spiritually. They didn't understand that it was just God's mercy and grace that allowed them to prosper. Uh, they thought that they deserved it. And so Hosea had a, a very difficult task, as, as did most of the prophets. I mean, come on, really. I mean, these guys really had difficult ministries. Hosea began his ministry near the end of Jeroboam's reign, and he ministered for about 40 years, about the same length of time that Jeremiah will minister. And things only got worse, climaxing in Israel's fall in 722 to the Assyrians. And um, the Assyrians were people you didn't want to be taken captive by. I mean, they were uh, an especially brutal group of people. Um, they, they were fond of putting giant fish hooks through your jaw uh, and then dragging you back uh, to their country. And so um, it was, it was a, they had a rough time. And we believe that probably Hosea escaped that final judgment and maybe exiled in Judah uh, where he would write and, and uh, live out his days. Now after Jeroboam's death, four of Israel's final six kings were assassinated by their predecessors. At the last, at last the prophet before Israel, as the last prophet before Israel's fall, rather, Hosea pleaded with his people to turn to God and be saved. He warned of Israel's coming judgment, but also of its final restoration. Uh, some call him the prophet of immediate doom and eventual hope. There's two key words in Hosea. The first is stumble, and it literally means to totter or to trip and fall. The prophets frequently use this word to describe the spiritual life of the Jews. For example, Hosea likens both false prophets and their followers to those who stumble in the dark. You know, I really like, do you like it dark when you sleep? I like it absolutely dark, just pitch black dark, except that now we have one of those clock radios that uh, projects onto the ceiling. Do you, have you, do you guys have, anybody have one of those? They're so cool. You got one, Steve? They're yeah, and just at night when you wake up and you look, there's this, this red glow on your ceiling, you know. Except every now and then, it gets, you can set it differently, and so then it's upside down, and I don't know what's going on, you know, and stuff. But uh, anyway, so pitch dark. But man, if you have to get up in the pitch dark, you better know where everything is uh, or have concrete boots on, you know, because you're going to stub your toe, and it's going to be all over. And we have very small tolerances between our, our, the bed and the wall, and so it's very difficult, and then there's the cat. Uh, but anyway, uh, they would stumble in the dark. Isaiah warns that those who rely on their own strength will stumble and fall, but those who are led by the Lord will not, but uh, rather that he will provide strength to those who have stumbled in the past and now call upon him. So we understand the word stumble, and it's a favorite word of Hosea. The other word is translated by two English words. It is commit harlotry, and it refers to having illicit sexual relations uh, outside of marriage, especially involving prostitution. Now, there were two forms of prostitution in the ancient world, or as far as the Bible is concerned. There was common prostitution and ritual or religious prostitution, which involved pagan fertility rites. 
Both forms obviously were strictly forbidden in God's law. You can read about that in Leviticus 19 and Deuteronomy 23. The Old Testament frequently uses prostitution as an image of the sin of idolatry. Israel was pledged to serve one God, so idolatry was like marital unfaithfulness against the Lord. And so it becomes an illustration to people of what it's really like to sin against God. And to emphasize the point, God wanted Hosea to act out marital, a marital drama before the people of Israel. He cast Hosea as himself, and he cast Gomer as the unfaithful uh, wife, Israel. And if you look at Hosea as the drama it was, it can be said to have two acts. Act one is chapters one, two, and three, and it depict the adulterous wife and her faithful husband. And then act two would be chapters four through 14 of the book, depicting the adulterous Israel and her faithful God. In act one, Hosea marries Gomer. She bears him three children who get some bizarre prophetic names. The first one is Jezreel, God scatters. Uh, This means that God was warning Israel they would be cast away and scattered if they didn't turn from their spiritual adultery. The next child was Lo Ruhama, not pitied or no mercy. Uh, Talk about self-esteem problems later on in life. God's long-suffering with sin does not have boundaries, even if his love for them does not. Uh, And there would be a time when he would have to show no mercy to them. And then Loami, not my people. It was a final desperate warning of how God must treat them for a time if they continued in their backslidden state. And so Hosea is going to marry this woman. Uh, She's going to turn out to be uh, unfaithful, and even the children in their names are going to have a prophetic meaning for the nation. Their names warn the audience, which was the nation of Israel, that God will judge and scatter them if they do not repent and return to him. Gomer seeks after other lovers and eventually deserts Hosea. Despite the depth of her sin, Hosea finds her in a slave market and he redeems her. The remaining chapters establish that Israel is committing spiritual adultery and refuses to repent. God predicts judgment by dispersion and barrenness and destruction. But for all that, God remains faithful and prophesies the restoration of Israel. For example, in Hosea 1.10, he says, Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered, and it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people. There it shall be said to them, You are sons of the living God. Then the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and appoint for themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. Jezreel is a play on Israel. They're very similar in pronunciation and spelling. Um, And so for all the judgment and everything that was coming, God always promises that he will restore his people. Chuck Missler wrote, he said, no other prophet gave as complete an outline of the ways of God with his earthly people as did Hosea. God suffers when his people are unfaithful to him. God cannot condone sin and yet will never cease to love his own. And consequently, he seeks to win back those who have forsaken him. Woodrow Kroll said, this is the backslider's book. If you or friends or family have drifted far from God, be encouraged through the story of Hosea. This is the perfect book for anyone who needs to know that no sin is so great that God's forgiving love is not greater still.
And so let's look at chapter 1, verse 1. We're just going to look at a few verses uh, now that we understand what the book is about, make an application to ourselves. Uh, Hosea 1.1, it says, The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Beeri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord began to speak by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry, for the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. Uh, First of all, you have to admit that the prophets, they sometimes were asked to do very strange things. Uh, And I, for one, every time I read one of these, I'm glad that we live in the New Testament era uh, when we're not really being asked to do strange things. Uh, For three years, Isaiah embarrassed people by walking the streets dressed like a prisoner of war. Uh, He also had a stint where he had to go around naked. For several months, Jeremiah carried a yoke on his shoulders. He also wore a a beautiful sash for a while, then he put it in a river and it got all destroyed, and then he walked around wearing that for a while. He did a few other things as well, but Ezekiel was my favorite. He was always putting on some kind of a show. If you remember our studies there, he was digging holes through the wall of his house. Uh, He refused to speak for a while as God told him to remain mute. He played siege outside of his house, uh, the siege of Jerusalem with a little model and little toy soldiers, and he built siege ramps and showed how Jerusalem was going to be destroyed. Um, When his wife died, God told him he couldn't mourn for her. Uh, These guys were illustrated parables, illustrated messages. So if you didn't quite understand what they were saying, you could follow it by what they were doing. The people of God were ignoring his word, so God called upon his prophets to illustrate his word in the hopes his people would heed his message. No prophet preached a more painful illustrated message than Hosea. He was called upon to marry a woman who would prove herself unfaithful, an adulteress, a prostitute, a harlot. She would bear him three children, and he wasn't even sure if the last two children were fathered by him. She would leave him for another man, go from man to man until destitute and enslaved, and Hosea would have the humiliating experience of buying back his own wife at half the price of a decent slave. There's a big debate among, um, I want to say Bible scholars, but just commentators that you read. Uh, We read in verse 1 there, God says, here's what I want you to do, go and do this. And some people, for some people, that's too much. They say, no, uh, there's no way that God told Hosea ahead of time to go and marry a prostitute or, and knowing what was going to happen. And so they try and soften that. Uh, but that's exactly what God did. He said, Hosea, this is what you're going to do. You're going to take this woman uh, as your lawfully wedded wife, and this is what's going to happen. Uh, this is what I'm calling you to. And so um, you know, let that sink in a little bit. Uh, these guys, these guys were heavy dudes. We would say, in terms of what they were called upon to endure in order to to minister, uh, and it was obviously it's a vivid illustration of what the children of Israel were doing by prostituting themselves to the pagan gods and thereby committing spiritual adultery. And so Hosea, representing God, the faithful husband, uh, knowing ahead of time what was going to happen, and yet loving his wife anyway, and uh, Gomer representing the Israelites, going in all these different directions, and the children 
uh, giving warning about what God would eventually have to do uh, if they didn't repent. Now, you and I face this same temptation in a way. James 4.4 4 is written to Christians, and it says this. You're familiar with this. Imagine sitting in church listening to the book of James being re- uh, read to you for the first time. Adulterers and adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Uh, and, and so uh, we have this carryover understanding of spiritual adultery, uh, and, and we should put it in this same kind of a context to understand how painful, how serious it is, but also how painful it is to the heart of God. Throughout the Old Testament, it's good to remember that all these things happened to them as examples and that they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Uh, and so in verse 3, Hosea went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim. And so he, he did what the Lord told him to do, uh, knowing what he was getting into, fully aware that she would later prove not only faithful, but become a despicable harlot. After their third child was born, Gomer left Hosea, presumably for good, and you and I would probably say good riddance, but in Hosea 3.1, then the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery, just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel, who look to other gods and love the raisin cakes of the pagans. So I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and one and a half omers of barley. Uh, The going rate for a slave under the law was 30 shekels of silver, and so uh, this is just how low Gomer had sunk. She wasn't even really worth the price of a slave. Um, But the Lord says, okay, now I want you to go and buy her out of slavery and and love her with an unconditional love, uh, because that's what I do towards you and Israel. Uh, Now, the phrase loved by a lover, that refers to Hosea. He was the lover of Gomer, just as in the next phrase, God is the lover of Israel. Despite all of her harlotries, Hosea loved her. Gomer had left Hosea and passed from man to man. The last she was to be sold as a slave, and Hosea went to the auction and offered 15 pieces of silver, purchasing his own wife back after her vile life of harlotry. It's, it's amazing. Now, I'm sure that there were many people who thought that he was an imbecile, that he was a fool, just on a perfectly normal, you know, rational level who didn't really enter into this illustration. But you have to admit that this is a very powerful illustration to anybody who is really paying attention. You have to think, hey, wait a minute. We know that Hosea is a genuine prophet of God. Whatever anybody wanted to say and however they treated these guys, they knew that these guys were prophets. Uh, They knew Hosea was a prophet They were used to this kind of prophecy, these living parables, these dramas being played out before them, Uh, and and you would have to be really dense to not understand why God was telling Hosea to do this, and this is really powerful, and it's an an amazing thing, and if you're paying attention to it, it, it'll break your heart when you see, you know, not what Gomer did, but what Hosea did in response to it, and you think, wow. The love of God is so intense, it is so jealous, it is so personal, it is so real. Um, What am I doing with Moloch or these other idols? What what, what are we involving ourselves in getting into the world? And in verse 3 it says, And I said to her, You shall stay with me many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man. So too will I be towards you. And so Hosea pledged his love to Gomer. 
fully and unconditionally. He, and his love broke her heart. She became a loving and faithful wife. This is a prophetic verse where he says, I'm going to be faithful and you're going to be faithful. It looks forward to what God is going to do with the nation of Israel. Now, the rest of the book, uh, it goes on to apply this illustrated message to the nation of Israel as <clears throat> the Lord goes through various things that Israel is guilty of and how he's going to treat them. Um, but basically, it reiterates what he said through the names of these three children, that he's going to scatter them and show no mercy upon them uh, and treat them as if they're not his own for a while. J. Sidlow Baxter wrote, sin does not merely break God's law, it breaks his heart. If you're not careful, your intellect will be overdrawn to analyze your walk with God as merely a legal relationship rather than a love relationship. And you start to consider your sin as missing the mark or falling short or failing to measure up to God's standards. And those things are all true. Those are accurate statements. I've said it a million times and you've heard it all the time. People say, what is sin? Sin is missing the mark. And they use the example of the archer, uh, you know, shooting and the arrow misses the target and that kind of a thing. That's all accurate. But I think it'd be better really to just say sin is like a, 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 a husband or a wife committing adultery. That's what sin is really like in terms of its effect on God's heart, in terms of what it's really doing. I mean, missing the mark, all right, you know that, so, okay, Lord, I missed the mark. I mean, I'm not downplaying it, but, but it doesn't seem to be all that serious if I miss the target. I'll just, I'll do better next time. But if I, I say to myself, when I, when I click that or when I open that or when I go there or when I do this, then I'm actually committing adultery. It'd be as if I was married and I'm committing adultery. It, it has a, a huge impact, I believe, and so I think that's how we should think about this. You know, God, there's a lot of illustrations for our relationship with God. He's, he's certainly the king, he's the judge, but he's also our father, and he's also, um, in Jesus Christ, our husband. And I think we should emphasize more the ones, in terms of our own thinking, the ones that have to do with our relationship that are more passionate, because um, it will help us to... Uh, stay on that narrow path. It's much more passionate appeal to remain faithful. Or if, when you are unfaithful, to return and be restored to your heavenly husband as he beckons to bring you back. Now let's close real quick by looking at a remarkable prediction in Hosea. It's in verses four and five, since we're in chapter three. He says, for the children of Israel shall abide many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, without ephod or teraphim, Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. Interesting reference to David um, because David obviously is long dead, but so we're looking at a future time, the latter days when David's going to be around again. People say, well, is David really going to be king over Jerusalem? Well, obviously Jesus is the king and he'll rule from Jerusalem, but it appears that David will be uh, kind of the regent over Jerusalem and sit on his own throne. But anyway, the point is, this is a prophecy that's being fulfilled today. Ever since the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, the Jews have been without a king and without a sacrifice and without a priesthood. But afterward, and we would say soon, the Lord is coming and he will establish his rule over them. Uh, God is faithful who has promised and he will do it. Amen?